0: ask your blessing on this reading of scripture today and the message this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I want to talk to you today about when life takes you off the beaten path. Thank oh, you. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, what can I? What can I ever do now? Well, do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. Uh, but what do I tell people? And you've told me about it. And I share that video today because we're talking about when life takes you off the beaten path. Usually, when life takes you off the beaten path, the fact is that sometimes life can feel much like it would if you were a leper. That is, if you get far enough off that path. Some of our lives can get that far off of the path. I've been sharing with the church, and particularly in Bible study, but I think I shared it here two weeks ago. Um, could have been two weeks ago. We did Night to Shine, I think it was two weeks ago. Anyway, at some point I've shared with you the uh, long saga of my trying to keep fish alive for my grandson Easton in his aquarium. And um, I told you that the iridescent shark had died. So I went to the pet store yesterday, and I found that they had a fresh batch of iridescent sharks. Because the magic snail finally kicked the bucket, um, an iridescent shark had died before that, I thought it would be wise to get two iridescent sharks because for sure one of them was going to die and then maybe one of them would live. So I got two iridescent sharks and put them into our fish tank, unbeknownst to my grandson Easton. And Then I called him up, took a picture of him, texted it to him, called him up, and we talked for a while. And I said, Easton, we got the iridescent shark. He was so excited about that. Can't wait to see his shark. I didn't go off the path far enough to say to him we got two of them just in case one of them dies. I just let him know that there was a shark in the tank and all was well. And he was happy. Hung up, and I began to do a little Google research on iridescent sharks. Now, they're really a catfish from Asia. And the iridescent shark that uh, they sell in pet stores, and the two that I have, are now in a 10-gallon tank. And as I was doing my research about iridescent sharks, I discovered that they can grow to be two to four foot long. Um, we got a new problem. <laughs> and, and I have seen those big fish tanks at PetSmart. But even the biggest tank I saw at Petsmark is not going to handle a four-foot-long iridescent shark. So that shark may not die. We may have to kill that shark off. (laughs) But anyway, um, sometimes you just get yourself into things, don't you? Or at least I do. Maybe it's just me. When life takes you off the beaten path, if it's an iridescent shark or if it's something as simple as that, you don't get too shook up. But what about when it is? Your health. What about when it is your relationships? What about when it is perhaps your finances? There's a whole host of things that can take us off the beaten path and call us to depend on something or someone bigger than ourselves, and that is God. Look at this first three verses this morning. I'm going to jump in and talk to you today a little bit about what we do when life takes us off the beaten path. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things we don't see. It's by it the people of old received their commendation, and by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. If you look at that first line in that verse this morning, in verse 1, you'll notice that faith is always very closely linked to hope. A real biblical faith. Is a confident obedience and trust in God's word that in spite of any circumstance, in spite of any consequence, that we are going to remain true to God. When I came in this morning, Venetia gave me a, a Canton repository. Some of you may have read this. I don't know when it was in, but it was about a doctor from Summa. Health. he's an emergency room doctor up in Akron he went skiing with some friends it's a, a group of twelve men that have a Bible study together they went out to Colorado to ski and he came up over a hill or a hump or something and there was tubers there that were never there before and he had to make a decision and he made that decision and when he made the decision it paralyzed him he's still in the hospital out in uh, Denver Colorado but the key that I kept seeing in this message that I read, this article that I read in the repository, was this, the first words out of his mouth. Now I can't imagine this, that I'm your pastor, I'm supposed to be the professional. The first words out of his mouth were trusting God in the circumstance. And he knew when he said it, because he's a doctor, he had felt himself down his body, and when he got about here, he realized he couldn't feel anything. He knew what had happened to him. I want you to look at three words in this passage. The three words I want you to see are assurance, conviction, and commendation. How assured are you of who Christ is for you? How assured are you that when you name the name of Christian, that you really mean that he is yours? Can you really truly look at God and are you sure that you can trust him for everything in good times and in bad? If hope is looking at the future and trusting God for what happens next, you have the assurance that it will be okay no matter what. How about that word conviction? It's the the belief that God will perform what he has promised he will perform. Uh, I often say, and Janice often says, you know that you know that you know. That's conviction. The presence of God-given faith in one's heart is the conviction or the knowledge that God will get you through no matter what. And then the commendation. What is the commendation? It's kind of like a witness. It's God's approval on our life and on our ministry. The writer of Hebrews is going to say throughout this passage now, some things about Abraham and Sarah and Enoch and Abel. They're going to be the the witness for us. What I want you to see this morning is that your faith and the way you live it out when life takes you off the beaten path may be a witness to somebody else. This is a bad room to give you this illustration, but I'm going to give it anyway. If you live in a home, most homes are constructed wood frame. Before you put the wood frame up, and, and I guess on this building as well, one of the things you have to do is put down a good foundation. One of the things that we need to learn to do as Christians is how to build the right foundation of faith, so that when life takes us off the beaten path, we can get by. I want to talk to you today about what you're doing this morning. Worship. Do you did you did you hear that song this morning? We kept asking. The song kept asking the question: Is he meeting Christ? Is he? Worthy. You know that the original uh, word, so I read an article this week, you folks have to correct me on this. The article this week said that when you're preaching, you should never point out what Greek and Hebrew words say. And uh, you know that I say to you all the time, the word in the original, blah, 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 says it really turns people off. So you folks need to, when I do that, you need to raise your hand and say, hey, Joel, we don't want to hear it. Anyway, the word worship flows out of the word worth. And so when the question was asked in the song this morning, is he worthy? The question is, is, is should we worship him? Should we be here this morning? Should our lives worship him? And I want to talk to you first about a life that worships God. Look, if you would, at the, the, the verse this morning, Hebrews 11.4. It's the very next verse that we read. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now if you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, it's found back in Genesis chapter 4, the first ten verses. I'm just going to recount it for you a minute here. Adam and Eve had children, and the two children were called Cain and Abel. And Abel uh, was a keeper of sheep and of livestock, and he would raise his sheep and bring his offering to God, his worship. And Cain, similarly, was a a, uh, person of the field, a gardener, if you would. He worked the ground, and he would bring his offering to God. And you'll find in that story that God uh, accepts Abel's offering. He honors Abel's offering. And we get so mixed up in thinking that, well, somehow God likes sheep better than carrots. And no, that's not what it means. What it means is that when Abel brought his offering, he did it with a heart that was right towards God, and that's what caused God to respect that. And when Cain brought his, there was something that God saw, not in the offering, but in the offerer, Cain himself. And when Cain saw that he wasn't accepted, that that God saw through him, he got angry, he took his brother out in the field, and he killed him. I want you to to understand what the offering was about. It was about worship. God had showed Adam and his two sons and Eve, he had showed them what worship was all about, and Abel, by faith, by faith, Hebrews says, worshiped God the right way. And on the other hand, what about Cain? I'll tell you what I think about Cain. And this is such a danger for us today. I think Cain was religious but he wasn't righteous. Did you get that? He was religious, but he wasn't righteous. If we come to God and we are going to worship him, we got to be sure that we are ready to worship him, that our heart is right. God accepted Abel and his offering, and God has rewarded his faith through and out the other side of both life and death, because you and I are talking about him today. Abel knew how to worship God out of a righteous heart. Cain knew how to worship God out of a religious heart. Cain came just because that was what you were supposed to do. If you got up this morning and you came to church because that's what you're supposed to do, you're probably in trouble. That's religion. You, you see, Abel came... Out of a righteous, a right relationship with God, that that faith that kept him right. As I thought about this idea of worship and a, and a, a faith that worships correctly, I go all the way back to 1987. I was appointed to be the pastor of the Central United Methodist Church in Wellsville, Ohio. And... They were a stage church. You know, the, the pulpit there, you know, You, I had a little office back here that I never used, but it was built right off because, you know, it had a little door. You've seen this in churches before, haven't you? the little door, and the pastor comes out the door and takes his seat up on that throne. I mean, that's what that church was all about. They were all about, Joel, buy a robe. You need to get a robe and some stoles and put them on and come out there and sit on the throne. And then when you went to the pulpit, You you were sitting here, you could just peep over the rail and see the people, but then when you went to the pulpit, you almost needed a fire truck ladder to get up there. I mean, it was high and lifted up, and you climbed up into that pulpit, you know, and you're hovering out over everybody. It was something else. I was usually down in the front row preaching, spitting on people. But anyway, um, we get to singing in worship, and there were these two guys there at the central church. One's name was Bob Reed. Uh, Bob Reed, I don't even know what he did in life. I probably did back then. But Bob had a heart problem. He had a real heart problem. I mean, if he walked too fast, we might have to call an ambulance. Bob Ticker wasn't good. And then next to him was Melvin. And, and Melvin had to have been around when Methuselah was born. You know, Methu- Melvin was a true Christian guy. And he would come and he'd have his cane and he'd walk, he'd walk. He had to park on the street down there. He'd walk half a mile to get to church. And Bob and Melvin would sit in that church next to each other. Bob's wife, because of his ticker, she wouldn't come to church. I would ask her. She never came. Why don't you come to church? She seemed like a good enough person. She'd say, because he gets so worked up, I'm afraid he's going to die. And now I'll tell you what this is all about. We get to singing down there. I had a Uh, A a gentleman in that church, John Henry Martin, he was a black guy, and I want to tell you, he would lead the singing, and when John Henry Martin led the singing, the spirit of God would fall on that place. Now, 98% of that church loved the pastor's office, they loved the pastor's throne, and they really enjoyed the robe and the clerical stuff and him climbing up into the pulpit. They really weren't that happy with the Spirit of God showing up. When the Spirit of God showed up, you'd be in the middle of singing a song with John Henry Martin up there, and Bob Reed would get like this. Oh, ho, 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 Lord, Lord, Lord. And he'd raise his hands, and he'd wave them back and forth, and he would be touched by the Spirit of God, and there'd be Melvin sitting next to him. Melvin take his cane and stomp it on the ground. We'd be singing, first time it happened, man, I about jumped. I'm like, what What was that about? But they would get so blessed in their worship. And I want to tell you what, some folks were none too happy with that. They, they came along, I will tell you that. That church came along in time. But there's two people I'll bet you anything will be in heaven when we get there. And one will be stomping his cane, and one will be shouting at God. I'm not quite sure where his wife will be, but anyway. (laughs) Abel's worship, Cain's worship, one was religious and one was righteous. I want to talk to you about a faith that walks. The fifth and sixth verse, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended As having pleased God, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That first few words there that says Enoch was taken up so they should not see death. Let's put that into plainer words. Enoch walked with God, and he was no more because God took him. That's what that means. Enoch walked with God. Now the thing that you need to know about Enoch is this. Enoch is just before Noah. Now why do I tell you that? I tell you that because just before Noah, this world was as corrupt and bad as it could be. And somehow in that corrupt world, In that world that was so enticing, that had sin all over the place, that could make anybody stumble in their faith, Enoch learned how to walk with God. He learned how to live in fellowship with God. He wanted to please God, and he had the diligence and the discipline to seek Him in every moment. How do you do that? I'll bet you anything Enoch prayed a lot. I'll bet you anything that anything he knew of God, he meditated on it, he learned it. You and I need to study the scripture. We need to worship correctly, but we also need to walk correctly. Enoch walked with God in a wicked world before the flood, before Noah, but he somehow was able to walk so closely with God that he didn't die. God just took him. Enoch walked with God. We say he was translated. That's what we used to say about Enoch. He was translated. But the scripture says it this way, Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. God just took him right out of here because of the walk that he had with God. So you need a a faith that worships, and you need a faith that walks, and then you need a faith that works. And I'm going to get to Noah here. In the seventh verse, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events that as yet had been unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And in that act, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. When it says that Noah was warned by God concerning things that were yet unseen, it doesn't mean that that God just prophesied to Noah that things were going to happen. God told him what's going to happen. God not only told him what was going to happen, God told him something that was going to happen that no one had ever seen before. When I was a kid, I grew up down there on the Ohio River, and in 1974, that that river was always, you might get out of the river, you know, they, they controlled it with the dams, with the locks you might go down there and on the on the edge of the river it might go down one day that much and the next day it might come up that much or a little bit more it would you know you would see it rise and fall a little bit depending on the the flow of water and the people that controlled the locks but in 1974 that, that, that puppy flooded when i was a kid we stood down on the edge of Ohio Avenue, looking down at the Ohio River. Usually, the Ohio River was about 300 yards down there. It was right up to the edge of that hill that day. You saw houses from Pennsylvania, the tops of the houses. The house was underwater, and you saw the top of the house floating along in the river. I'd never seen anything like that. Some of the people... In my neighborhood, had seen it back in 1938. That's the last time it happened. I think it, it, it happened about four inches higher back then. It went about four inches higher. Have you noticed on the news this week all that snow in California? There's people out there that are saying, man, we've never seen this before. Noah, this is God. I want you to build an ark. Because I'm about to do something, not only that you haven't seen before, But the very issue that's going to happen, nobody's seen before. They had never seen flooding. They had never seen storms. They'd never seen rain come down and water come out of the ground at the same time. And Noah didn't say, well, God, can you prove it with science? Noah didn't say, God, can you show me in the encyclopedia how this is going to take place? No, when Noah was warned by God concerning something that he didn't see or understand, he got his hammer and his nails out and got to work. And you know, the writer says he did that by faith, you know that all of his neighbors were watching. You know that they're looking on and taking interest here. Because when a guy does that, you know he's a loon. What happened? Noah's faith saved his family. Noah's faith revealed the consequences of people who don't have faith, who don't believe. Noah's faith got to work. We were talking this week, some of us here were talking in a meeting um, with another couple of churches. And eventually somebody got around, I can't remember who it was in there, but they got around to talking about the night to shine. And I will honest to goodness tell you that, and I know we've talked about this already, but I will honest to goodness tell you, oh, i got to share something with you. I forgot about that. I will honestly tell you that, um, <laughs> give me a second, here it is. I will honestly tell you that I didn't know how that was going to happen. I, I, For a while there, I thought, man, you really hung Diana out to dry. Um <laughs> It was work. It was was a lot of work. I've been having trouble with my left arm. It wasn't hard work for me. It was hard work for a lot of people besides me. I texted my nephew in Texas yesterday. I was relating to him a story when he was a little boy. I said, hey, you remember when you told me blah, blah, blah? And he texted me back. And he said, I was thinking of you just the other day. He's, a, he's a, uh, one of the biggest Macy's stores in the country. He manages down in Dallas, Texas. He said, my store, we provided some donations to a local Night to Shine event. We received a nice thank you and some pictures from these people. Great organization, great cause. You ought to look into it. weeks ago, some of you for over nine months, you got to work. Your faith was lived out. God calls us to have a faith that works. Sometimes God calls us to have a faith that waits. And I'm going to stop and say to you right here that I think this is probably, at least for me, the worst. Listen to these four or five verses that that I'm going to finish with. By faith so, so we got a faith that worships, a faith that walks, and a faith that works. Now I'm talking about a faith that will wait. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going to. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that housed foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the sands of the sea. When God called Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis, he said to him, I'm going to give you a plan, and I'm going to give you offspring. And Abraham then had to wait 25 years for that to happen. God took Abraham outside and said, look at the sky. You see all those stars? That's what your children are going to be like. And you can't number those stars. And he said, that's what your children are going to be like. And Abraham waited. 25 years for his firstborn son, Isaac. God said to Abraham, I'll bless you, surely I'll bless you, and multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and like the sand on the seashore, your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. And Abraham waited 25 years. Sarah, when God spoke to her, said, you're going to have a son, and Sarah laughed. She knew she was too old for that stuff. And Abraham's promised a place, a land. And at the time, he was a wandering nomad with no place to stay. The most real estate that man had was the grave that he had purchased to place his body in when he died. And when you follow the story through, Abraham actually dies still waiting. Waiting for that which was promised, something that he hadn't yet seen. He he has Isaac and and then Jacob and Esau come along through the line. And yes, he gets the 12 sons that formed the nation. He he gets Joseph in his lineage that saves the, the nation in that time when they were in Egypt and Moses and all that story. But still, Abraham never got into the promised land. faith that waits and waits and waits. Look at what the scripture says about them. These all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them from far off and greeting them from far off and acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. People who speak like this make it clear they're looking for a homeland. They were thinking about the land from which they came, they would have returned. But they actually desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. They all died in the faith, never having received what God promised for them. But they died in the faith. They had a faith that worshipped. They had a faith that walked. They had a faith that worked and a faith that waited. And when they waited to the very last breath, they may not have received the promise, but they still had the faith. And that can seem disappointing, can't it? My whole life I've waited for that. My whole life. That brings me to my bottom line today. Waiting a lifetime on God can't match spending eternity with him. Waiting a lifetime in the faith, even how that might sound disappointing, because you never have actually received what you thought you were working towards, it's not disappointing at all. It's the blessing of living by faith, walking by faith, worshiping by faith, working by faith, waiting by faith that gets you through. Because we're looking for a different place. We're not looking for. Canton, Ohio, and we're not looking for the Buckeye State, and we're not looking for the good old U.S. of A. We're not looking for a place. We're looking for a person. So living up by faith in this life will never match eternally living with him in heaven. Amen. We're in the middle of Lent, time of self-denial, time of time of reflection upon ourselves I've preached a whole message today without saying the one word you need to hear it's not a it's not a word it's a name and the name is Jesus We're on a journey to Easter We're on a journey to Resurrection Sunday As a church I'd encourage you to understand that what Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Abel and, and and Noah and Moses, they were all looking for was something that they had not even had a name for themselves yet. They, didn't, they couldn't put a name to it. You've got the name. It's Jesus. We walk by faith and not by sight. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Amen. Let's sing.